The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthCare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Thank you for joining us today on C. diff Spores and More Global Broadcasting Network. We would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Visit the Clorox Healthcare website to learn more about their products keeping environments safer. CloroxHealthcare.com forward slash C. diff radio. Today we welcome our guest, Dr. Matthew Henn, Senior Vice President, Head of Drug Discovery and Bioinformatics with Ceres Therapeutics. Dr. Hen is joining us today to discuss the role of the microbiome in health and disease, the basics. At this time, I would like to welcome our guest, Dr. Matthew Hen, to the show. Welcome to the program, Dr. Hen. Thank you, Nancy. I really appreciate you inviting me to be on your podcast, and I'm really thrilled to have the opportunity to speak with uh, you and your listeners. You know, the C. diff Foundation is such an important resource for individuals affected by C. diff, and, and it's great to have a chance to connect with you and, and those involved. Well, thank you so much for saying that, and we are so appreciative of you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today here and discuss all these great information about the microbiome with our global listeners. And, you know, let's just go right into that. And Dr. Hen, you know, the first question we have is there seems to be a great deal about a great deal of interest in the news about microbiome. Um, I have also seen the term microbiota used and would you mind helping us better understand those terms? Sure, I'd be happy to. So the microbiota is, is an ecology of microorganisms, which include bacteria, things called archaea, fungi, and viruses uh, that inhabit a particular part of the body or even the soil or the ocean. So when I say the term microbiome, um, I'm usually referring to the whole complement of cells, genetic material, proteins, and other things that make up that community of microbes that actually live on or in humans. So for the purposes of uh, discussion today, I'll use the microbiome to typically refer to the actual collection of microbes uh, that interact with the human. As I mentioned, micro- microbiomes are actually found in nearly every environment. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm actually continually astounded where we see microbes turning up as research continues to expand uh, in this space. And today, though, we're going to actually focus on humans where microbiomes are found throughout the body, such as on the surface of the skin, urinary tract, and the lungs, and in particular in the gastrointestinal tract. And just to give you, you and your listeners a little sense of the importance of microbes to humans, it's worth considering that actually for every one human cell out there in the human body, there's probably at least one microbial cell, and many estimates actually put that ratio more to more on the order of about 10 or so uh, microbial cells for every one human cell. And of particular interest really to our work here uh, at Ceres is, is the gut microbiome, as I mentioned earlier. And actually, research to date in this space 
uh, indicates that the microbiome of the gut is actually probably potentially one of the most diverse microbial ecologies um, ever explored to date by uh, human beings. That's amazing. And thanks so much for sharing that, Dr. Han. And can you tell us when we acquire our microbiome? That's a great question and actually a really interesting area of research right now, uh, Nancy. Uh, we acquire our microbiome actually at birth, and it, uh, it changes actually through time. So to the extent that a fetus is actually exposed uh, to microbes from the mother is something that's currently a little unclear and, and, and being uh, uh, continually investigated. But we certainly acquire our microbiome at birth. Um, in the case of a natural birth, infants are exposed to the microbes uh, from the mother's birth canal. Um, an intestinal tract during the actual natural birthing process. And infants born by cesarean section are exposed to microbiomes of the mother's skin and potentially those in the surrounding environment. Um, Now, it's important to realize that the microbes that colonize an infant are also potentially influenced by how the infant is ultimately fed. Um, And there's emerging research in this area that shows that, for example, um, infants that are breastfed versus those that are given infant formula uh, may actually have slightly different microbiomes. But while we see these differences, it's really important to note that the microbiome of the infant is actually constantly changing. And the work to date actually indicates that it undergoes really dramatic changes almost till about the age of three, um, potentially even a little past that, um, when it starts to stabilize a little bit, not change quite as frequently, and look a little bit more like an adult. That's amazing. And we can't believe how many different micro microbiomes there are, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So does that mean that after three years of age that the microbiome is stable and does not change? No. Actually, there's a number of factors that will impact even the adult microbiome and influence how it changes throughout your lifetime. Um, There can be both daily and even longer-term fluctuations um, in the composition of your gut microbiome. Uh, There's a host of different factors that actually impact that uh, composition really throughout your life. These include things like diet, the environment, uh, your immune system, actually even your your genetics of of your body, uh, the process of aging, and even the use of certain medications. Uh, and, and, And I'll highlight here, for example, antibiotics can have an actual quite significant impact on the microbiome. Um, And there's also research that's suggesting that um, bile acid-reducing agents like antacids or even proton pump inhibitors can also have an impact uh, on the microbiome. But as with many things in the microbiome space, there's there's still a lot to be learned. Uh, And this is really, uh, our understanding of that is really emerging. Um, And I think it's important to point out that, um, excuse me, uh, because of all these various factors that can influence the microbiome, uh, to some extent, the microbiome of each individual is, is unique uh, and like a fingerprint. So if everyone's microbiome is unique, then how can we all function as healthy individuals? Sure. That's, a great, that's actually a great question and a, and a, and a relatively complicated question. Um, it turns out that many different microbes are similar in terms of their functions uh, that they actually perform. So even though that you and I might have a different complement and ecology of bacteria, we can both lead healthy lives due to actually the overlapping functions of the various bacteria in our bodies. The scientific term for this is actually referred to as functional redundancy. So let me explain what I mean by functional redundancy. So in an individual person, for example, there might be a lot of microbes that help us process or synthesize, for example, a particular nutrient. Um, Almost like an insurance plan, you have coverage for different situations that may arise given the the overlapping capabilities of these different microbes. So while while my unique microbiome has certain bacterial species uh, that may be different from the person next to me or from you, 
uh, we both can have a healthy microbiome because these different species are responsible for the same functions that are essential to maintaining a state of health. So, you know, this actually kind of reminds me of something that I often joke with my medical colleagues about. Um, I was actually trained as a soil microbial ecologist and studied how microbes in the soil impact the flow of carbon and nitrogen uh, through soil systems and into the atmosphere. And the con this concept of functional redundancy uh, was actually discovered uh, many decades ago by soil microbiologists. And I kid my uh, medical colleagues often that it's great to see uh, that the medical field has caught up and realized that the same effect uh, exists, in, exists in humans. Exactly. And we also know that C. difficile spores live in the soil too, don't they, Dr. Hen? Absolutely. Yep. They, uh, C. diff spores are certainly found really in many different environments, uh, and particularly in the hospital settings, but even out in the environment. Yes. Exactly. And Dr. Hen, can you tell us more about the types of microorganisms that are found in the healthy gut? Sure. You know, there really is a wide diversity um, uh, of microbes that live in the human gut. Um, and it's, the human gut is really, as I, as I noted earlier, uh, a complex community that comprises both bacteria, archaea, fungi, and viruses. Um, the best study of these microorganisms, certainly to date in humans, is bacteria. Uh, and bacteria are actually divided into a whole bunch of different categories. At the really high level, um, there's a subdivision, uh, which we call phyla. And then that gets uh, taxonomically reduced or, or refined, if you will, uh, by class, order, family, genus, and finally down actually to individual species and strains of bacteria. So although there are over 50 different phyla of bacteria described to date, there's two phyla in the gut of healthy individuals that really dominate. One is called the firmicutes, and the other is called bacteroidetes. Thus, Really, when we start to think about it, the human microbiomes are very similar at a bird's eye view when we think about the phyla. Um, but when you actually start to kind of drill down into more of the details and get to um, finer resolution, uh, we realize that it's a really diverse ecosystem and there is a bit of variation from one individual um, to the next. But I think the key point for listeners to realize is that the microbi microbial diversity um, and, and that variation is really a key feature um, of the microbiota that's in our gut. It's also probably worth pointing out here that the advent of DNA-based technologies and methods have really advanced our understanding of this diversity of microbes um, that, and has continued to expand our knowledge of the diversity of microbes and their relationships to one another. Okay, and uh, before we pause for a commercial break, Dr. Hen, can you tell us why the microbiome is so important to overall health? Sure. Um, in a healthy gut, there's really an intricate what we'd call symbiotic relationship between both the human host and the gut microbiome. So microbial cells actually interact with human cells uh, in various different ways to jointly perform the many functions that are needed basically to make your body work. Um, the host provides a habitat and nutrients for the microbiome, and the gut microbiome provides the host with a number of key functions essential for your body to actually work. So some examples of these include the gut microbiota, has the ability to actually regulate the immune system uh, and even prime the immune system to understand what is self versus non-self. Uh, the host microbiota can actually synthesize vitamins and nutrients. Um, it helps support metabolism, for example, of non-digestible dietary fibers. And it also plays a really important role um, with respect to defense against potential pathogens. So in the end, the microbiome really plays a key role in the very basic functioning of, of our human bodies, and, and as a result, it actually plays quite, it has quite an impact on both uh, disease, states of health as well as states of disease. 
Okay, and Dr. How does the microbiome defend us against pathogens like C. difficile? Sure. So that really comes back to a couple of different issues. Um, in a healthy state, the diverse and abundant microbiome excludes potential pathogenic bacteria by establishing what we call in the research community colonization resistance. And colonization resistance is really just this fancy scientific term that you can think of essentially as a defense shield. Um, the good commensal microbes uh, that inhabit your gut prevent the bad pathogenic bacteria from taking up residence in your gut, and the good bacteria can do this in a host of different ways. So, for example, one direct way they do this is that they may actually uh, want to use the same nutrients um, or carbon sources uh, as the infecting bacteria, and so they actually outcompete those pathogenic bacteria for examples to those nutrients. But they can also do it by different types of indirect means. Uh, one example of that is that your commensal microbes uh, can actually trigger an immune response in your body uh, that attacks the bad bacteria. So it's really through this mechanism of colonization, colonization resistance that the microbiome uh, of your gut can actually help prevent infection with C. difficile uh, and, and essentially don't allow it to take hold in your gut. And that's wonderful to know. And thank you so much, Dr. Hen, for sharing all this information with our listeners today. And at this time, we're going to pause for our first commercial break. And when we return, we will continue learning more about the role of the microbiome in health and disease, the basics, with Dr. Matthew Hen. Please stay tuned. We'll be back right after these important messages. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety, as well as learn about upcoming events, teleconferences, and support sessions. To register for a session, call the CDF Foundation at 1 844 4CDF. 1-844-367-2343 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? washed your hands. Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. 
Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff spores and more global broadcasting network. And we welcome our listeners joining us today. It is a pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Dr. Matthew Henn, senior vice president, head of drug discovery and bioinformatics of series therapeutics. Joining us today to discuss the role of the microbiome in health and disease, the basics. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Han. Thank you, Nancy. And we're so glad you're here with us. And we're going to ask you, um, you know, we're picking up where we left off discussing the microbiome. And so now what happens if there are changes in diversity of the microbiome? Sure. Um, Quite a bit can actually happen. So as I mentioned a little earlier, a healthy, balanced, and diverse microbiome can actually exclude potential pathogens through this concept of of colonization resistance that we were talking about just before the break. Um, However, a reduction in the microbial diversity or also just a loss of keystone uh, microbes or organisms that really play a key central role um, can develop, develop, um, and this will ultimately lead to really an ecological imbalance of the gut uh, microbiota or microorganisms, And, and this term is typically known as dysbiosis. So if dysbiosis occurs the host's ability to resist the colonization of potentially pathogenic bacteria is compromised. Um, and these dis- disruptive bacteria can actually begin to flourish. So dysbiosis not only has been associated with infections, but it's also been associated with potentially metabolic disorders, allergies, autoimmune diseases, inflammation, and actually several other pretty serious conditions. Okay, so those are what would um, ex- what would cause dysbiosis. Well, you know, there's really any number of factors that can cause dysbiosis. So these are the diseases uh, that re- result uh, from a dysbiosis. But there's quite a few different changes that can lead to an actual dysbiosis. So some of these factors include things like stress, inflammation, aging, and even certain medications. So actually, in the case of C. diff patients, the biggest risk factor. Um, is actually exposure to antibiotics, um, which reduce the diversity of the gut microbiota. Um, Another major risk factor in the case of C. difficile infection is being over the age of 65. And the reason that is, is that aging has been associated uh, with a dysbiosis. Okay, so the older we get, the less um, microbes we have in our gut, maybe? Yeah, um, basically there's, there's increasing data that's coming out that suggests that essentially as you age, um, your microbiome starts to senesce. Um, and so the composition of your microbiome uh, is actually changing uh, as you age, and you're potentially losing some of that diversity as you get older and older. Okay, well, that's always good to know. And Dr. Hen, if antibiotics can cause dysbiosis, are they doing more harm than good? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, Nancy. Um, you know, antibiotics have absolutely been one of the most important medical advances of modern medicine. Um, They are an extremely important tool in the arsenal that we use to combat infectious diseases. Uh, They can be life-saving when a pathogen threatens the life of the host. Um, And really, when you get down to it, it even enable things such as common surgeries to be performed with low risk of infection. Um, 
But it's also important to note, as with many great things out there, there, there can actually be a downside. Um, unfortunately, most antibiotics uh, can also kill the beneficial bacteria in your gut that we were talking about earlier, which support the many important functions, uh, in particular colonization resistance, uh, as we were previously discussing. The thing I really want to stress here, though, is, is the importance of antibiotic stewardship. So giving our increasing understanding of the downside of antibiotics through their negative impact on the many good microbes that actually help sustain our health uh, and our environment, it's also important to only use antibiotics uh, when they're necessary and limit to specific uses. Exactly. We can't stress that enough. And thank you so much for explaining that, Dr. Han. And Dr. Han, what does the link between antibiotics and dysbiosis mean for our patients who are being treated and fighting C. difficile? Sure. There, there's, there's an important link there. So uh, dysbiosis plays a critical role in C. difficile infection uh, because dysbiosis essentially makes an individual patient more vulnerable to infection uh, for some of the various reasons that we, we talked about a little bit earlier. Now, dysbiosis can be both short-lived um, and, or it can be longer term. Um, and it's typically short-lived, um, <clears throat> excuse me, if the microbiome in that individual is actually more resilient. So resilience is a scientific term that refers to how well a system that actually has been disrupted can then bounce back. So systems that are continually disrupted such as in the case of chronic antibiotic use, uh, lose their ability to, to bounce back and repopulate the microbes that get knocked back. Just to make this a little more concrete, let me, let me give you an example. So um, if you have a forest and it burns down, that forest will actually recover if the fire was mild or maybe happened once. But if that fire was really, really hot um, or there are many fires in a very short period of time, um, the earth becomes somewhat scorched and it's much less likely to recover um, on its own. And that's essentially because the seed stock uh, that's needed to sort of restructure that forest and bring it back are lost. And so it's very similar with the case of antibiotics uh, that get used chronically. All those microbes get knocked back many, many times and, and ultimately you start to lose some of the key critical microbes that need to be there to restructure uh, that gut. So if a system has become less resilient to an insult, you know, let's say, by use of multiple antibiotics, say to treat bronchitis or, or some disease such as that, uh, this dysbiosis starts to persist and, and essentially the patient that is exposed then to C. diff is at very high risk of infection. So what this equates to really in the end is that C. difficile infection requires two independent things to happen. One, the patient has to actually be exposed to C. diff, um, but the patient also has to have a dysbiotic microbiome. So this two-hit process can lead to troubling symptoms of debilitating diarrhea, uh, as well as more severe abdominal cramping, nausea, fevers, and even low, low blood pressure. Okay, and Dr. Hen, can you explain to our listeners how patients are infected with C. difficile in the first place? Yeah, that's another great question. Um, and, and I think here it's, it's worth talking about the life cycle of C. difficile. Um, to make that uh, more, more explicit uh, in terms of who is at risk and, and what, what conditions uh, lead, to, lead to the threat and how, why it's a hard disease to actually treat. So C. difficile bacteria actually has two-phase life cycle. Uh, there's a spore form and there's a vegetative form of the bacteria. So the spores are the dominant inactive form of the bacteria uh, that live in the environment, particularly in healthcare settings, but even as you pointed out earlier in, 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 in the soil. Uh, and these spores are difficult to eradicate, um, <clears throat> excuse me, because they're incredibly resistant 
to even harsh environments such as alcohol and high heat. So spores are actually nature's way of protecting the seed stock uh, that we were referring to earlier. Um, spores are incredibly hardy. Uh, in fact, they even go up into space, can be exposed to extensive radiation, um, and survive just fine. So what happens is once, once ingested, these spores will actually germinate into then the vegetative form of the bacteria, uh, which can produce toxins and actually lead to, lead to the, the disease of, of CDI. Um, so really this two-phase life cycle of C. difficile adds complexity to the medical management. So patients are treated with C. difficile-directed antibiotics, which kill the vegetative forms, but don't kill the actual spores. And so then if that dysbiosis persists following antibiotic treatments, patients are at risk for clinical relapse since the antibiotics don't actually kill the spores. They only kill the vegetative forms, and then those spores can actually germinate and regrow once treatment is discontinued. This actually can all get exacerbated by the underlying dysbiosis, which leaves the patient very vulnerable to relapse or infection by another strain because those, that diversity in the gut never repopulates um, to prevent or try to outcompete C. diff when it's trying to germinate. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So in summary, a person can be exposed to C. difficile spores, but may not develop an infection if they actually have a healthy mi micro microbiome. And this is really because of colonization resistance by those beneficial bacteria in the healthy microbiome really doesn't allow C. diff to grow and germinate into the vegetative form uh, of the bacteria that actually then ultimately leads to disease. So again, this really comes back to that concept that beneficial bacteria and the diversity of bacteria in the healthy gut really help protect you against C. difficile infection. Whereas on the contrast to that, if you have a dysbiosis, um, that person is much more vulnerable to infection. Okay. And if the development of a C. difficile infection is a two-hit process, then how can, one, how can we treat it? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a changing paradigm, uh, quite frankly. So, so interestingly, the treatment paradigm for this infection has changed very, very little um, from when it was discovered back in the 1970s when C. difficile was found to be the cause of a troubling diarrheal disease. Um, back when this condition was called antibiotic-related colitis, because uh, it had been observed that antibiotics were a risk factor um, for developing this infection. But once researchers discovered that C. difficile was the cause of this disease, um, actually available, excuse me, available antibiotics such as vancomycin and metronidazole were quickly, quickly introduced into the clinical practice. Um, but really, the use of these antibiotics to kill C. difficile is critical in treating the active infection. Um, however, antibiotics, unfortunately, only attack one half of the problem. Um, as I pointed out before, spores are incredibly hardy and resistant, um, and the use of these various different antibiotics don't really treat the underlying dysbiosis in these patients, um, nor impact the spores substantially, uh, which makes the person highly susceptible to C. diff. In addition, um, the limitations of this treatment paradigm are pretty illustrated by rates of initial cure followed by unacceptable rates of relapse that we observe when antibiotics, uh, with antibiotics just alone. And there's a certain paradox of using antibiotics to treat an antibiotic-associated disease. Um, in a sense, antibiotics are causing the problem, and we're also trying to use them to treat the problem. So the good news is that we know more about pathogenesis of this infection. We can actually start to adapt the treatment paradigm accordingly to better outcomes. Um, and so therefore, at, actually at Ceres, we believe that treatment 
of patients with C. difficile infections really require a two-pronged approach. The first thing we actually need to do is we need to treat the active infection with antibiotics to kill that vegetative form of the bacteria. But we also need to make sure we treat the dysbiosis um, by restoring the microbial diversity of the gut microbiome so that we can actually establish colonization resistance and really prevent that ability of the spores to essentially germinate and repopulate the gut and instead really make sure the gut becomes populated with all those good commensal bacteria that we really want to have there um, to maintain our health, our health state. Exactly. And Dr. Ham, we thank you so much for giving an overall view of this and, and full uh, information on the microbiome and the, and the vegetative and the um, spore, the dominant form. And that's really great to know. This is all, all great to know because um, our listeners are trying to find out more about the microbiome. And Dr. Han, at this time, we're going to pause for a brief commercial break. When we return, we'll continue learning more about the role of the microbiome in health and disease, the basics, with Dr. Matthew Han. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these important messages. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Join us on September 20th in Atlanta, Georgia for the fourth annual International Raising C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo. Visit the C. diff Foundation website at cdifffoundation.org for event details or contact the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 for additional information. Again, the website is cdifffoundation.org. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products, EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes, trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing. Number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24 7. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. 
Welcome back to the C. diff spores and more global broadcasting network. And we welcome our listeners joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Dr. Matthew Henn, Senior Vice President, Head of Drug Discovery and Bioinformatics at Ceres Therapeutics, here to discuss the role of the microbiome in health and disease, the basics. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Henn. Thank you. Uh, Happy to be here. Oh, we're just so glad that you are here, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Um, Dr. Hen, before break, you were discussing the um, spore-dominant and vegetative form and antibiotics. Would you mind discussing how successful antibiotics are alone? Sure. I mean, as I pointed out earlier, antibiotics are certainly an important tool um, in the uh, treatment of C. diff and, and many infectious diseases. But in the case of C. diff, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge uh, to use antibiotics just by themselves. Um, we know uh, essentially that uh, antibiotics essentially uh, knock back the vegetative uh, form of the bacterium, uh, but they don't do such a good job of knocking back that sort of residual population of spores. And what we see really when we use antibiotics to treat C. diff, uh, here I'm at for example, vancomycin, um, we see that actually somewhere between 25 to 30% of patients uh, with their first episode of C. difficile will actually relapse. And unfortunately, once the patient relapses, that risk of recurrence increases with each episode and each, recur- and each recurrence. Um, and the reason why is kind of goes back to that analogy I was using before of a forest. I mean, if this, the forest keeps getting uh, burned constantly, that, that, that seed stock um, starts to go away. And in, in the case of uh, continual antibiotic use, uh, you know, the seed stock of all those good commensal microbes that are also getting impacted by the antibiotic um, starts to go away a bit as well. And so actually, as you, you increase um, uh, your use of antibiotics or you relapse once, unfortunately, your, your chance of recurrence after each antibiotic treatment um, starts to really go up. Uh, and, and actually, the, the data suggests uh, that, that people with a history of two or more recurrences can actually have a 60% chance um, of recurring after an antibiotic treatment. Okay. And Dr. Hen, how are patients with multiple C. diff recurrences being treated? Well, generally, patients with multiple recurrent C. diff are treated with two different uh, antibiotics that are available currently, uh, one being vancomycin uh, and the other being fidaxomycin, uh, which is a newer uh, antibiotic uh, that's supposed to be a little bit more specific. Um, but currently, that's really the only tools in the arsenal. Exactly. And how do, you, how do we restore the microbiome in our patients that have had C. diff? Well, that's, that's a very important question, uh, Nancy, absolutely, because as, as I noted before, it's really this two-hit uh, uh, treatment uh, or two-hit problem where you get the disease, which really requires a, a two-part solution. One, both uh, you know, knocking back the active vegetative form um, of the bacterium with the antibiotic, but then actually restoring the actually uh, healthy commensal microbiome um, in our patients. And, you know, there's really currently a, a, a search for various strategies to, to reestablish a diverse microbiome in the gut post-insults, insult, such as the use of an antibiotic um, in, in, in basically medicine currently. Um, right now, there actually are no FDA-approved microbiome-based therapeutics. Um, more recently, uh, many patients with multiple recurrent C. diff infections have been treated with what's called fecal microbiota transplant. Uh, this is also known as FMT. Uh, which is the delivery of a minimally processed whole stool um, from a donor uh, to the patient. There's actually a number of different ways FMT is currently being delivered um, to patients. Uh, these include uh, nasal duodenal tubes, 
colonoscopies, enema, and actually even oral capsules. Um, each of these different types of routes of administration uh, have, have different demands. For example, an, an, an X-ray should be taken to confirm proper positioning of a nasoduodenal tube. And, and for those of you who are not familiar with that technical term, it's essentially putting a, a, a tube through your mouth down into your, into your GI. Um, basically, for colonoscopies, it's, the patient often has to be sedated. Uh, and then enemas are, are, are a better route uh, since they're less invasive um, and don't require sedation. And then there's even a few published data emerging around safety and efficacy of, of FMT in patients uh, that are given, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, 30 feces-filled capsules. So reports on the use of FMT in C. difficile infection uh, provides proof of concept uh, that you can actually restore the diversity um, of the microbiome in, in a subject infected uh, with C. difficile, uh, and that this can actually have an impact um, on the uh, recurrence rate um, of those subjects. Um, however, right now, um, FMT is an investigational treatment, and it actually hasn't been improved uh, by the FDA um, for, sort of for broad medical use. Um, there's been a few small perspective trials uh, that have demonstrated that the first-dose efficacy of FMT can be in the range of 47 to 81% approximately, um, but no studies to date have really directly compared uh, how that efficacy uh, differs by the various routes of administration uh, that I was referring to earlier. Efficacy, efficacy increases uh, with serial administration of FMT. So if you give an FMT multiple times to an individual, um, this can actually uh, improve its efficacy. But this obviously often requires additional use of invasive procedures. So on the safety side, um, although donors are often screened for infectious pathogens, there's also always still a risk of, of transmitting um, some newly emerging infection um, or disease that uh, we aren't currently aware of. Um, so simply put, it's, it's, it's hard to test for a pathogen that we might not even know uh, needs to be on our radar screen. Um, take something even like Zika uh, that recently has become an issue. Um, only recently do we know that that's an issue, and, and I'm sure that has circulating uh, out in communities uh, well, well before we knew it was an actual, um, actual issue. I think the one other thing I'd point out um, about an FMT is, is that you're also transferring the whole complement of other factors besides just the microbes themselves um, when you do it. So various different potential waste products and other things might also pose um, some safety risks. Uh, and we don't really know at this time, and the data is not clear whether that is or, or isn't an issue uh, for a patient that's being treated with FFD. Exactly. And Dr. Hen, thank you so much for giving that explanation and, and background and every uh, information on the FMT. And Dr. Hen, are there any microbiome therapeutics in development at this time? So um, there are. Um, at Ceres, uh, we're actually uh, dedicated to developing uh, such therapeutics. Uh, we actually refer to them as echobiotic drugs, um, and we're developing these for patients with uh, various different disease conditions. Uh, we're designing these drugs uh, to essentially help reestablish that ecology of microbes in the gut and ultimately return it back to a state of health uh, similar to what we were talking about uh, earlier in the program. Um, our drugs actually target specific diseases, and then they're designed to restore the microbiome to that diverse state, um, or actually in some cases to design, uh, restore essentially a specific function. Um, sometimes it's not just about the total diversity of microbes that are there, um, but actually a couple keystone microbes, as I pointed out earlier, that may be responsible for a critical function um, uh, that, and were lost in, from the dysbiosis. Um, in the case of our C. difficile drugs, uh, 
Um, our primary goal, though, is to reestablish that colonization resistance that's really needed to prevent uh, that reinfection with C. diff um, uh, from potentially the spores in particular. So, uh, CR109 uh, is, is the name of our, our, our first echobiotic, um, and we currently have a double-blind placebo-controlled phase two clinical trial uh, that's underway and is evaluating the safety and efficacy of this lead candidate. Um, excuse me. And then and that trial is targeted at adult patients uh, with recurrent C. difficile infection um, to prevent uh, further recurrences. So CR109 uh, is actually an ecology of spore-forming bacteria uh, that's comprised of approximately 50 unique types of firmicute bacteria. Um, if you remember a little earlier, uh, I mentioned that Firmicutes are one of the dominant phyla um, in a healthy microbiome. Um, and it is important to point out here, of course, that CR109 is actually an investigational drug um, and is, is why we're running these various different clinical trials to really prove that it actually um, has both efficacy um, and safety uh, in, our, in our subjects. So given that it's an investigational drug, um, CR109 is actually manufactured um, uh, using um, all the various regulations that are required uh, for the FDA to, to have an investigational drug in a, in a clinical trial. And we ultimately, what we're doing is we're manufacturing it by, by fractionating and then extensively purifying those, those firmicute spores um, from the stool of a healthy screen donor. So what we then do is we actually take these purified uh, uh, spores um, and deliver them to the patient uh, in, in a single dose of four capsules uh, that get taken orally uh, following the completion of a course of antibiotics. So, as we already discussed, C. difficile infection is, has a two-hit process that is best served by a two-pronged treatment approach. So the antibiotic is one part of the approach, and we believe that CER109 has the potential to be that second part of the approach that can actually then restore the various uh, commensal microbes uh, in the gut that are really needed to establish that state of colonization resistance. Um, so basically, currently we're expecting to have the results um, uh, from this phase two trial in the middle of this year. Okay, and thank you so much, Dr. Hen, for sharing that information with us. And in your phase two ecospore trial, there are exploratory endpoints that evaluate quality of the life and health outcomes. Can you tell us more about these? Sure. Um, that's a great question, actually, because as we know, people may actually be sick um, and have sort of problems with respect to diarrhea, et cetera, but there's also just a general quality of life that can be quite impacted um, by C. difficile infection. Um, so really, with that knowledge, we wanted to try to understand not only the impact of 109 on efficacy and safety, um, but also if there was an actual impact on these quality of life issues. So throughout our trial, our patients are actually asked to fill out questionnaires that ask questions that are developed to assess a handful of different quality of life uh, attributes. Um, some of these include mobility, uh, their ability for self-care, their pain, general social functioning, um, and even emotional function. Um, and in addition, one thing that we're quite interested in understanding is really what's the impact on uh, working ability um, and potential productivity loss uh, due to this particular disease. Um, and those are some, some, of the, some of the examples of things that we're looking at. In, in addition, uh, a couple other things we're looking at with respect to um, uh, patients who are in the hospital is essentially the, the length of their stay, um, how frequently they're admitted, and, and unfortunately, in some cases, mortality as well. 
Okay, and Dr. Hen, thank you so much for sharing that. Right now, we're going to pause here for a brief commercial break. When we return, we will continue learning more about the role of the microbiome in health and disease, the basics with our guest, Dr. Matthew Hen, Senior Vice President, Head of Drug Discovery and Bioinformatics at Ceres Therapeutics. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these important messages. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll free 1 844 4CDIF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing. Number one in infection prevention. For additional information on handwashing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff, spores, and more, Global Broadcasting Network. We welcome our listeners joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Dr. Matthew Hen, Senior Vice President, Head of Drug Discovery and Bioinformatics at Ceres Therapeutics. Joining us today and discussing the role of the microbiome in health and disease, the basics. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Hen. Thank you, Nancy. You're welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us today. And can you tell us how your donors are selected? Sure. Um, we actually use a, a very selective process when it comes to our donors. Um, a prospective uh, series donor uh, actually has to pass screening questions, examinations, and laboratory tests that actually go well beyond what's done even for blood and plasma uh, donors. Uh, we put our donors through a, a real gauntlet, really, of questions about their medical history to make certain they don't have any underlying diseases or risks. 
Um, we had questions about their, their general GI health, um, risk of gastrointestinal diseases, um, and, and a whole host of other uh, questions related to potential safety. Um, and then our donors actually undergo really a, a thorough physical exam to ensure they're actually healthy. So um, in addition, uh, we perform a comprehensive uh, laboratory test panels uh, on the blood, on the stool, on the urine, really to make sure that these individuals check out um, uh, from a diagnostic standpoint as, as healthy and not carrying any particular diseases. Um, the testing actually far exceeds uh, what is done for blood banks uh, and tissue banks. Uh, and, really, and the other, I think, really important thing about our donor screening process is that we repeat this screening uh, process throughout the period of time that we're collecting stool and even beyond the period of time that we're collecting stool from these donors uh, to make sure that nothing pops up uh, uh, during the collection process that might make us think that they might not be a good, a good donor to use for actually making our product from. Um, and in the end, actually only a couple percent of our donors uh, pass this screening. Uh, to, um, so, so in the end then, what happens is CR109, uh, the manufacturing process, uh, actually further reduces uh, any risk of potential pathogens, uh, et cetera, being in, in, in the uh, stool uh, that you really can't achieve just by screening the donor alone. Um, so really, in, in many ways, our manufacturing process really provides that additional layer um, of safety uh, that you're not going to achieve by just screening a donor um, uh, alone. Exactly. And Michael, going back to your clinical trials and studies, the results of the phase 1B trial were recently published. Can you tell us more about the data that came with that results? Yeah, sure. Happy to do so. So um, the data uh, from that phase 1B trial with CIR-109 evaluate the safety and the efficacy and also the engraftment of 109 microbes, uh, and as you said, was, was published earlier this year. Um, the data from that trial uh, demonstrated good safety profile uh, for the investigational drug, and it also showed that uh, an efficacy rate of 86.7% um, of our patients actually meeting the primary endpoint. In this trial, the primary endpoint was the prevention of recurrence of, of CD, C, C. difficile infection uh, through, week, through week eight uh, following the actual treatment. Um, I think what's really interesting here, too, is that the data demonstrated that the treatment actually really did restructure the microbiome of the gut. Uh, and this happened, as I mentioned, by the engraftment of CR109. Uh, what engraftment means is actually that those firmicute spores that are part of CR109 um, that were delivered in the capsule actually germinated, grew, and really took hold in the gut. And in the process of them doing that, they then actually created the environmental conditions such that actually other commensal microbes that we've talked about as being really important to be there um, also began to grow back. Um, and these actually included that other important phyla I referred to earlier, the bacteroidetes, um, which are normally part of a healthy microbiome. So we're really encouraged by the results of this study and are really looking forward to the results of the phase two trial that I was talking about a little earlier um, in the not very distant future. Exactly. And Dr. Hen, how is the SER109 different from a fecal microbiota transplant, also known as an FMT? Sure, Nancy. Um, so CR109, as I referred to a little earlier, is, is an ecology of approximately 50 unique firmicute bacteria uh, that are in the spore form. And, and these spores are manufactured by actually uh, fractionating and purifying the spores uh, from stool of healthy donors uh, that's been rigorously screened. Now, the spores um, uh, in human stool really only represent about 0.1% of that whole stool sample. And this processing that we do allows the CR109 spores to then be encapsulated into only four capsules 
in a highly purified form. And lastly, um, the purification process of the stool samples uh, for CR109 and that fractionation manufacturing uh, procedure really involves an ethanol inactivation. And what that does as well is it actually removes all the vegetative bacteria, fungi, and most viruses that pose an infectious infection risk um, in a patient. So this process ultimately really substantially reduces um, the transmission of infectious agents uh, to, to a patient. Um, in addition, uh, we really use a, a rigorous screening process for our donors uh, that we were talking about um, um, uh, previously. Um, and that combined with this manufacturing process really, really just decreases the overall safety risk um, uh, to a patient. Um, the delivery of CR109 also enables a more focused therapeutic approach because it eliminates the inclusion of other microbiota and other fecal components with the potential to have pro-inflammatory responses. Um, and lastly, what happens then is that, as I was referring to earlier from the results of our phase 1B, 1B trial, is that the CR109 uh, microbes actually uh, populate, but then they do really allow uh, the microbiota to come back um, of, that's, in, that's needed there, and, and those are actually kind of come from the patient themselves, uh, making, a, making a more, we like to think of it as um, uh, amenable microbiota for any individual patient. So in some sense, what I'm saying here is that uh, really less is better. Um, we give as minimal number of bacteria as we can um, to be uh, efficacious and try not to give any more than we have to. Um, and in addition, um, C109 can facilitate uh, consistency of dosing because the number of spores can actually be determined uh, based on a based on a uh, consistent biochemical signature. Exactly, and Dr. Han, um, CR109 has the potential to provide a novel therapeutic option to treat patients with C. difficile. If they are interested in learning more about this investiga- investigational therapy and clinical trials, where can they get this information? Yeah. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, we really hope this new technology will make a, a tremendous impact in the treatment of all, our, all those patients suffering from C. difficile. Um, anyone that's actually interested in learning more uh, can go to our website at www.seriestherapeutics.com. And actually on our website, they'll find a whole host of information about the microbiome and, and some of these factors that we've been talking about today on the show. Um, you'll learn more about the pipeline of drugs. Uh, that we currently have um, in process, and they can then as well have contact to, to, uh, have information to contact us uh, for further follow-up. And I think one other thing that you'll find on our website, which, uh, which will probably be quite interesting to your listeners, is really the launch of our, our next product in the C. difficile space, which is CIR-262. And this is a, a fundamental um, advance in microbiome-based therapeutics, where we've now developed a, a, a microbiome therapeutic that actually is not sourced from human stool, uh, through the fractionation and purification process that we talked about, but actually we've uh, made a synthetic composition of microbes uh, where each microbe has been isolated, fermented, um, and then formulated in a capsule for delivery uh, into, into subjects. Um, and again, so what this does is really gives us that minimal set of microbes that we think are needed to drive that efficacy um, in our C. difficile patients. And, and just uh, the other week, we announced the launch of a phase 1B trial um, with this particular drug. Well, Dr. Henry, congratulate Series Therapeutics and everyone involved in this, and thank you so much. We appreciate all the dedication and hard work that you're all doing to help um, the patients uh, on a global level. And Dr. Hen, before we close today's program, do you have any closing comments for our global listeners? 
Well, you know, Nancy, I, I just I really would like to thank you uh, for the opportunity to speak with you and and all your various listeners today. It was it was a real pleasure to have the opportunity to to have this dialogue and inform your listeners about the importance of the microbiome uh, to C diff as, as well as many other diseases. And actually, really, just the ability to connect more directly with with patients that have C diff um, and the C diff Foundation uh, because it's really. Uh, the work that you're doing and, and uh, efforts at places like Ceres, uh, where we're really striving to positively impact patients uh, every day. And so I appreciate that opportunity. Well, we thank you. And just know that everything that you're all doing over there, you're saving lives. And we just can't thank you enough. And we thank you again, Dr. Hen, for joining us today on C. diff spores and more global broadcasting network and discussing the role of the microbiome in health and disease, the basics. We have certainly learned a lot from this information that you are truly grateful uh, for taking your time and taking the effort for you and your colleagues who have spent a lot in developing this program and to share it with our listeners today. Before we close our program, on behalf of the members of the C. diff Foundation, we would like to extend our gratitude to Clorox Healthcare, Series Therapeutics, Rebiotics, Summit Therapeutics, and Tomi Environmental Solutions Steramist for being platinum sponsors of the fourth annual International Raising C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo taking place on September 20th in Atlanta, Georgia. We would also like to express our gratitude to all the corporate sponsors and exhibitors who are participating at this year's annual International Raising C. diff Awareness Conference and Expo. We also look forward to meeting everyone at, uh, on September 20th in Atlanta. And if for more information, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org under the 2016 September conference page. Join us every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time as we discuss up-to-date information with topic experts and corporate professionals whose focus is on C. difficile infection, prevention treatments, environmental safety products, and much, much more. Once again, we thank our official sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Please visit their website, cloroxhealthcare.com forward slash C. radio. We send out our well wishes to all of the patients being treated and recovering from a C. difficile infection and all wellness-draining illnesses across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, and until next week, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We thank you so much again for joining us this week, and we wish you good health and a good day. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at cloroxhealthcare.com.